Welcome to those of you who are online. We just want to say in advance, uh, if you have not prepared, we're doing communion today, so you can prepare the elements uh, during the introduction here if you need to get, uh, it doesn't have to be anything sophisticated, you can use symbols, water, crackers, whatever you might have there. If you have some juice, grape juice, uh, feel free to use that. And for those of you who are online, we are going to go to the Lord's table today at the end of service and and uh, come to his table because he's invited us, right? It's a joyous opportunity for us to share together, uh, remember what the Lord has done, but also remember what that means for us, right? Uh, we have uh, such a responsibility as a result of what was accomplished for us at Calvary. We're the Joshua generation, and uh, we were in prayer this morning, and it is a unique season for us as a church, and in so many ways, uh, this this uh, message series is so applicable to us in the right now. Uh, we have uh, long been here waiting for uh, God to do what we know he has promised that he will do. And in many ways, all along the process, God has been doing some amazing and wondrous things, great victories we have seen. But we recognize that there is a, a more conquering kind of thing coming in the sense of God has placed us here. He's preserved these, this acreage, these buildings, this land uh, for such a time as this for you and I to rise up. And uh, we, there are several things happening on our immediate horizon that are applicable to us here on the campus. We have the exodus of uh, Concordia High School originally came here with a four-year um, lease and an option for a fifth. Nine years later... <laughs> We are saying goodbye to them on June the 30th, and they're going to their campus. And it's an exciting time for us because it's like God's saying, now you're going to inhabit all of the land and everything that uh, I have prepared for you. And of course, we're just uh, finishing the kids wing. Such an exciting time. If you haven't had a chance to take a sneak peek, uh, do that sometime before you get off campus. It's so beautiful all the things that God has helped us to do together as a church family. A lot of renovations uh, around here in here and on the campus in general. We were talking this week, Michelle and I, about uh, two things that were done that if we don't mention them, you probably wouldn't even notice uh, or think about it. But we had uh, a professional floor cleaning uh, guy that came here and all of the tile was cleaned. And there was actually color in the tile in the bathrooms. We didn't realize that before. Uh, we thought, wow, we got to paint the walls gray because uh, it's all gray, all the flooring. And now there's actual color there. You can see it popping in the women's restroom. There's pink and you know, all kinds of wondrous things. And also in the, in the main area there, it's just beautiful. You can actually see grout and uh, it's not just dark. And so that's really amazing. And then uh, we also had the doors worked on, so the doors as you enter the building. And those of you who have been here on campus for a long time, those of you who are online have not never been to the campus, uh, you have never had a door chase you like that front door chases you. Uh, <laughs> on the on my right hand side, as I'm facing the back, it would be the, the the door on your left as you're entering the building. And many people have pulled that open to walk in and paused for a second to adjust their Bible or, you know, their diaper bag or whatever, and that door has just smacked you in the back of the head. Uh, it needed uh, some work, and, and so the guy has put a new 
apparatus on that, plus they lifted the doors and, and got them where they swing without rubbing on the bottom, and that also was done in the kids' wing, and so these are little things. Um, I was thinking uh, as we were going through all of the uh, kids' rooms, uh, there had not been little door stoppers on all of the doors that keep them from banging into the drywall, and so over the years, we have done some creative things to uh, cover little indentations, you know, that happen, and so uh, that was something we did uh, this week as well. Put door stoppers there, so no longer can you slam a door against a, a drywall. But these are all just really neat little things that you might not notice, but they're they're making the campus better. And so as we were praying this morning, uh, just felt the sense of God's raising us up to be the Joshua generation. He's got some great things in store for us. Today is very interesting. Want you to open your Bibles. We're going to go. Uh, not only deep into the Word of God, but a little bit into some uh, Jewish history and understand a little bit more about the Caleb story than uh, you may have known before. Joshua chapter 14, beginning at verse 6. We're going to read there. There is so much in what we're talking about today that uh, it would almost be good as a series on its own. But We'll try to get through this today and uh, hopefully impart to you the importance of one of the great characteristics of the Joshua generation that is, that is, is exemplified by uh, Caleb, and that is wholehearted. Wholehearted service, all of himself, into following God, obeying God, and doing what God had called him to do. And so now we find that Israel has, we talked about the five kings last week, they have now uh, really inhabited the land. There are still skirmishes and battles ahead, but for the most part, they have conquered the major cities. They have divided the, uh, that nation, and they are inhabiting that land as God had called them to do. He's, he's caused, brought about great victories. And so there comes a time now where people come to the table and say, you know, God has made promises. Uh, we're ready to settle our family. We'll continue to fight these little skirmishes, but we need a place to settle our families, uh, where we can grow crops, where we can begin to really inhabit the land. And so Caleb comes up and said, hey, God made me a promise. Now think about this. Caleb was 40 years old when he was asked to be one of the 12 spies under Moses. And he was sent out uh, to um, go into the land and, and uh, do reconnaissance work there. And so when uh, now, at this point, Caleb's 90. And he's still fighting, man. Uh, this is a fierce guy, you know. And uh, he's, he says, hey, God made me a promise. And I stepped on land. And he said, wherever the sole of my foot steps, and I have a piece of land I'd just like to take. And so the, as the land is being divided, here is uh, where Caleb is, is bringing his case to Joshua, the leader. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kizite said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barna, about you and about me. He's talking to Joshua about, you know, he said it to both of us. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barna to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites, who went up with me, made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, follow the Lord my God wholeheartedly. 
And so on the day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Open our hearts to receive into good ground what you want to communicate to us through the story of Caleb today. We thank you, God, that you have brought us to this hour and this time. It is for us now to recognize your hand is upon us as a congregation, that this is a season for both those online and those on campus to rise up and take the land that you have given us. For many of us, that's a neighborhood, that's a work environment, that's a school. Lord, there are places where you have set us. It might be even in family for some, where it's time to rise up, conquer the land, and lead your people into your presence. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together, to worship, and to learn together today. Open our hearts in these next few moments, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Have you ever had to separate yourself from the crowd, even when it included close friends? I was thinking about uh, hanging out with my teammates when I was in high school, really enjoyed uh, playing football and basketball, and uh, it was fun hanging out with the teammates, it was memorable, and there were a lot of things that we did, not only you know when we were uh, engaged in the sport, but we became friends, and there were things that we did before and after school, hanging out together. Uh, that said, there were several occasions where my teammates would make a decision to do something that was counter to my Christian walk. And that meant that I had to walk away. And for the most part, they really respected the fact that I made that decision. And, and they didn't kick me out of the group and say, you know, that guy, we just can't have him around because he won't go to places that we want to go or do things that we want to do uh, all the time. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm grateful that I was still welcomed back uh, after those seasons when they walked away and did things that I felt I could not do. It was never easy, though, to walk away. And we've all had that experience. And there, are, there are times that, that I honestly thought about going and maybe not participating in those things. But I recognized uh, putting myself in a place of temptation where uh, it, would, it would challenge my convictions in, in ways that I, I was vulnerable, was not wise. So it, what we all learn about walking as Christians together is that empowering God to lead your life means that you will follow him even when people who um, you love and you care about and you have close friendships choose to follow a different path. And so for all of us throughout life, we, we recognize that we are faced with these kinds of decisions about whom we will follow. And uh, there are really two, right? We're going to follow God's purpose and plan or we're going to follow our own way, which is the enemy's hope and desire that we follow after that, that will lead to him in, in rulership and bondage over our lives. Or we're going to follow God and we're going we're to move into freedom and, and we're going to, to become what God has called us to be, find our purpose and our mission in life. So we all face these. We face who will influence our decision making the most. Who will have our allegiance? And then finally, who's going to have our whole heart? 
What is it that's going to get all of our attention? Is it the material things of life? Is it climbing the success ladder? Is it, you know, what is it going to be that will get all of our heart, our resources, and our attention? As a Christian, there are many times in life that you may be walking in a, in a small group or even solitary, but you're never alone, right? And so when I would walk away from my teammates and they would go off, I, there was not a moment that I ever felt I was alone. I was never alone because God was walking with me. But there are times when we walk away alone, but we're not alone, right? We're surrounded by God's presence and his great family. That's one of the reasons, too, I always loved church because I had friends in common there who loved Jesus like I loved Jesus, who walked away from the crowd sometimes in order to walk with Jesus. And we had that camaraderie that was deepening and deepening day by day, moment by moment. We loved Jesus with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And so I never felt like I missed anything. I didn't miss anything by not going to that party, that gathering, that uh, opportunity to, to get uh, you know, not sober, uh, that opportunity to engage in experimental drugs or whatever it might be. I never felt like I missed a single thing because I had in common with God's family that this deepening walk with the Lord and it was always enjoyable and, and there were always surprises around every corner. Now the story of Caleb for us today is partially that. That's why I wanted to share this with you. It's a reminder that the majority or the crowds can often be mistaken in their agendas at, at a minimum, and, and they, can, they can often be deadly wrong at, at, on, the, on the, the far end of this, the spectrum. And before you decide that you're going to follow the crowd, you need to know where the crowd is going, right? Right? Um, there is this uh, interesting, uh, I watched years ago, the, uh, in psychology, and behavioral psychology, they'll, they'll teach you about it. It's uh, the, you know, the power of, of permission, you know, and, and uh, kind of, uh, I watched this uh, on um, Candid Camera years ago. How many of you remember Candid Camera? Uh, so they, they would do these things periodically, and it was all about this permission deal, you know. And so they had gone out, and they would set up, uh, in front of a, a very busy workplace, um, uh, tables outside in the front, just filled with goodies. I mean, there was candy there, there was sodas and uh, water and crackers and hors d'oeuvres. It just, just looked fantastic, right? And people would just, you know, they would look at it and they would wonder about it and uh, they would just walk by and respectfully not touch anything. And then at some point, the candid camera guys would send one person one from the, the crew to just go up there, just like a, a normal, uh, everyday working person there, dressed like everybody else, to pick up a plate and just start loading that plate with food and, and to grab a soda and stuff like that. And all of these people who had been skirting their way around the tables and, and acting you know, so respectful suddenly begin to crowd, crowd in to line and pile their plates full and grab so nobody ever said this is for you come and get it but because uh, they were following the crowds 
you know, they, they just got involved in that. And so you and I need to know where the crowd is going. Who's the leader of this before we follow a crowd, right? Joshua Generation's distinctives uh, help us in following appropriately, right? Because first of all, there are three things in place, three distinctives that are in place for the Joshua Generation that they understood uh, firmly. And, and you see this in Caleb, right? Nobody, like, tried to get ahead of God in, in, in this and go grab some land and take it. You know, the, the, they, they had lessons in this early on with Achan trying to take some territory. And so they understood it's okay to wait. The promise is sure. God is going to take care of us. There's no need for us to, to, to try to push the envelope in any way. We understand three things, and these three things are going to help us. We understand we have one Lord. There's one Lord. All of us are, are given to him, and we're serving him, and, and we belong to him. Second, we understand we're one tribe. We know who's got our back. We are watching out for each other. Uh, we, we know we're all following the one Lord. So if we're following this crowd, you're following the one Lord. You're following God, and he's leading you. We're in the tribe together, and we are accomplishing what God uh, has called us to accomplish because we have one mission. There's one mission that we're all engaged in, and that is to, to conquer the land that God has given us. And, and we're all about that. We're not looking over our shoulders and trying to see what peace we want before somebody else gets it, because we're just, we're just obeying God, and we're engaged in the mission that he's given us. And we're all happy with that, that we have one Lord, we, have, we are one tribe, and we have one mission. And God's going to take care of all the details, right? <laughs> Caleb in Hebrew, uh, Kalev, K-A-L-E-V, was one of the most prominent and influential Jews uh, that was to leave Egypt. A leader in the tribe of Judah, he was one of uh, the 12 spies, you remember, that was sent out by Moses, uh, sent to uh, reconnoiter, you know, the land of Israel, and, and later the two um, spies that uh, came back with a good report was Caleb and Joshua. And there were 10 others, though, that was part of the crowd, right, who did not have a good report to bring back. And Caleb's tale is a tale of bravery, it's a tale of, of piety, and, and, and above all, of loyalty. He, was, uh, he rose to prominence at a very young age and was appointed the chief of a noble tribe of Judah. And he is mentioned in the Tanakh, which is the, the Jewish Old Testament, primarily uh, regarding the exploits as a spy once uh, Moses uh, and, and uh, Joshua went in, into the, to the land. He is, his bravery is told of. He was true-hearted. He was sincere. He remained loyal to God and, and to Moses. And his fellow spies turned conspiratory. And, and uh, that's why his truthful report and faithfulness to God was rewarded. And that he had this, this promise from God through Moses that he would inherit this land that he had walked upon first 40 years when he was 40 years old. Shortly after giving, uh, the giving of the Torah, the Jews stood poised to enter the promised land. The Torah is the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible. So shortly after those books were given to Moses, the Jews are, are now 
poised to enter the promised land. They're apprehensive about what may lay in store. And so they entreated Moses to, to do some reconnaissance, to send out some spies and, and to find out what was really going on over here and what we're getting into, you know, which is always problematic when we're not functioning as one with one, with one Lord, one tribe, and one mission. Because if God says it's okay, it's okay, right? We don't have to, like, look under the covers and under the bed to find all the boogeyman, right? Because God said it was okay, and he's going to take us to victory. So this was problem number one. They were skeptical, and uh, they convinced Moses, and, and so Moses acquiesced, and he sends out 12 men. Now, you need to think about this in terms of, of his uh, protege, Joshua, watching all this, because he's learning from this. Later, Joshua will face the same thing. The people will also be interested in knowing what's in the land. Joshua had a good idea. Instead of sending 12, I'm just going to send two. They're going to give me a good report. <laughs> Let's just take the two good reports. And although righteousness, uh, you know, uh, the, the righteous was, you know, well-intended, you know, among these guys as they're uh, going out to, to try to exploit the land, they, they ultimately sinned and chose to uh, deliver a negative report. Only two, Caleb and Joshua, remain loyal to their mission. Now, according to the Midrash, and just explain a little bit about this to you from uh, the Jewish perspective. Uh, what is that? It is it's a, it's kind of biblical exegesis done in you know kind of uh, along ancient Judaic authorities the way they did it using a mode of interpretation to. Uh, it, it, which was prominent in the Talmud, their Old Testament. Jewish scholar Vanessa Lovelace explains a little bit about what uh, the process is uh, for the Midrash. It's, it defines uh, Midrash as a Jewish mode of interpretation that not only engages the words of the text, behind the text, beyond the text, but also focuses on the letter and the words left unsaid by each line. I have a podcast or two that I listen to of, um, you know, uh, different rabbis, and, and uh, so you hear this, and, and it's big in, in uh, you know, they ask questions. Why? Why? And then they, they try to fill in the blanks, you know, what these words are missing, and, and uh, what happened maybe before the text that, that wasn't mentioned, or happens after the text that wasn't mentioned, and they go into numbers, and they'll look at at uh, how the numbers of, of these letters fit into the scheme of things. And so it's, it's interesting to listen to. And so according to the Midrash about Caleb, which is uh, why I wanted to share a little bit about that with you, I think we have a, a picture of the, of the cave of um, Machpelah, which is a, a very um, holy site in Hebron. And uh, why is it? Well, it's believed that there, according to the Midrash, are the, the graves, well, we know for sure, uh, the grave of, of uh, Abraham and, and Sarah, because we'll talk about that in, in just a moment. But they also believe that there are four other couples um, that are in this cave, that were buried in this cave. And so um, what does Machpelah mean? It means doubled in, in the Hebrew language. And one reason given is that four prestigious couples are buried here. They believe Adam and Eve are buried here. In fact, uh, in the Midrash, if you go back and do a little study and, and reading in it, they believe that's, that's what drew Abraham to it in the first place. He saw 
a light in this cave when he was looking for a place. Now, now think about this. Abraham was 130 years old and still a foreigner in this land, right? The land of promise that God had given. He still didn't own land. And so uh, here he is, you know, his wife is, is uh, dead now and he needs a place to bury her. But they believed that he was drawn to this cave because um, he saw a light in this cave. And then when he got in there, he smelled the smell, which was uh, the smell of the uh, first created the Garden of Eden. And uh, that, that smell drew him to it. Whether you, uh, this, is, this is a part of the Midrash, not a part of the Bible, right? And, uh, but they believed that Adam and Eve were there, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, and Jacob and Leah. I uh, believe that Rachel was, was buried elsewhere. Caleb's zeal for obeying God and serving God for 40 years till God gave him the promise. In the Midrash, they believe that he came to this area, to this, to this cave, and had a time with God uh, before he had this conversation that's going on between him and um, Joshua about receiving the promise. But can you imagine waiting all this time and believing that God was going to be faithful? How many times are you and I trying to rush God on some of the promises that he's given for our lives? I know throughout our ministry, God's given a promise early when Michelle and I were married, and we have rushed at every, every turn that. And we've tried to say, well, th well here it is. You know, it's, this is how God's going to do it, or this is how God's going to do it. But the patience to wait, the patience to, to persevere, shows tremendous character in Caleb to say, hey, you know, I'm going to continue to do what God's called me to do. And that is our job, right? Our mission is to continue to do what God's called us to do until he says, here it is, the promise. It's fulfilled. Rest in this. This is the land that I've given to you. Now, this was, this was more than patience on the part of, of uh, Caleb. It was mission focused because he's saying, even in the midst of this, I'm going to keep fighting, you know. I'm going to settle my family here, but I'm going to keep fighting. I'm 90 years old. I still got it. <laughs> we had a lady in our church when we were in, uh, in Phoenix, and she was 90 years old. And I'll tell you, when she shook your hand, you'd go to the ground. I mean, she, was, she had a strong grip, and her mind was sharp. You know, she remembered everything. You know, she would rehearse back to me things that I had said in a sermon and uh, she had this command uh, and understanding of what was going on. But it reminded me of, uh, I was thinking of her when I was thinking of Caleb. Here he is, man. She was ready. She, had, she wasn't walking around with a cane or anything. I mean, she was ready to take whatever, you know, Pastor, you need some help doing this or that. And I was like, you're 90 years old. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can help. Um, it was wholehearted dedication as well. He's mission-focused. He his whole heart was in this. I am, I am here till God says I'm not. And this, this life on earth is all about what God wants to accomplish through me while I'm here. I'm committed and wholehearted, given to Him. The Joshua generation understands that the promises of God are a sure thing. Caleb understood that they were a certain thing. And there was no need to fret over them. Uh, just stay on mission. Just stay focused with what God had to do. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So it's okay if I can't see it, right? It's okay if I can't hear it, taste it, and smell it. 
it's a sure thing because God said it, right? Now, the promise keeper is in charge of the promises, and he makes sure that we are uh, going to be taken care of. Now, there's another interesting thing I alluded to a moment ago about uh, Machpelah. And this, uh, I'm, I'm going to skip in a little bit to uh, beginning at verse 7. This, if you want to turn there, Genesis chapter 23, 7 through 17. I'm not sure I want to read all of this, but I want to set the story up for you. So it really, in advance, before you get to verse 7, you have Abraham here, right here, where, um, you know, uh, where this Caleb is going to inherit this land. This is the land he's been walking on. And you have Abraham many years before standing right here on this land, and the Hittites uh, are occupiers at that point. They aren't the original people of the land, but they're the occupiers. And he's been living there now for, you know, uh, well on like 40-plus years. And he makes a statement to them in the beginning of this. He says, I am both a foreigner and I am uh, a resident. He said, I'm a foreigner in the sense that I came here from somewhere else. I, I wasn't born here. God sent me here. God's made some promises, but I don't make any presumptions about any of this belonging to me. I want to purchase land to bury my family, to bury my dead. And I, I am willing, I want this cave, but I need the whole field because this is access to the cave. And so I'm willing to pay top dollar for this field. And so he sets that up for them and, and brings, you know, has this, this uh, uh, kind of piety and, and uh, you know, is entreating them as if, you know, uh, where they saw him, you know, as a mighty man, he was successful, he was wealthy, he had, uh, they had watched him, they had watched his life, he was a man of integrity, and uh, he was a leader already here. But here's, here's the way the story unfolds. Then Abraham rose and he bowed, this is to the Hittite, down before the people, the land of the Hittites. And he said to them, if you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, who owned that section or had that section of land, on behalf of me that he would sell me the cave at Machpelah that belongs to him and is in the end of the field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron, the, the, the uh, Hittite, was sitting among the people and replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites. He stands up and says this out loud. Who had come to the gate of the city, know my Lord. They're calling Abraham my Lord. He said, listen to me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. And again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron, in their hearing, listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury the dead. Now, I want to stop here for a second because this is a reminder to us and those of you uh, who are, are, uh, have studied the Old Testament, read the Old Testament, of David in a key season 
where he needed to make a sacrifice, an altar. He had made a mistake, and he needed to make a sacrifice before God. And he offers to buy a, a wine press. How many of you remember that story? And he offers to buy this wine press from this man. And he goes, no, King David, I'm going to give it to you. You can have it. And what he says is exactly what Abraham is saying through the story. I will not offer to God what cost me nothing. And that is, that is Abraham saying, I'm not going to take from you and, and, and let this be a, a place that is a, a place for God and God's people that costs me nothing. I will pay top dollar for it. And so uh, Abraham agreed to Ephron on the terms. He weighed out the price. Uh, you can read in there how much it was. But I want to skip down to verse uh, 20 there. It says, the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. What's so powerful about this is Machpelah was the first piece of the promised land that was owned by God's people. To this point, Abraham had been leasing land. He had been a sojourner among them. And it is at this point that the promise is first secured for the future generation. Long before Caleb came and Mark walked on the land, God secured it for God's people right there at this moment in this time. It's such a powerful point in, in history for us to understand. This is the first piece of the promised land that was owned by God's people. Here in Hebron, God secures a future for the whole Jewish nation. Right here it begins. We don't really have, you and I, I think, with respect to God, a timing problem. You know, we, we don't really have that. We use that as an excuse, you know. Um, God's timing is not our timing, and oh, you know, it's just I wish God would do this, and he would, he would do that, and, and something would happen along this way that would, be, that would help us out. You know, why can't God come through when I need him to come through? It's not really a timing problem that we have on a regular basis. What we really struggle with is a heart problem. It's a heart problem. And Caleb's story is so significant because he conquered that in his life a long time ago. And so he wasn't worried or concerned about timing. Abraham conquered that when God said, go to a place that I'm sending you that you don't know, you don't have any relatives, you don't know where to go, I'm gonna lead you literally day by day and moment by moment. He had to first conquer the heart problem, not the timing problem. Oh, God, when are we going to get the land? He's 136 years old when he owns his first piece. <laughs> first piece of the promised land, right? And, and realize that he's, he's 100 when he has his, his uh, first child, his heir. Like God's made all these promises, right? And, and now, you know, uh, how am I going to, my seed going to carry on and, and be as numerous as the sands of the sea and all the things that God has promised? How is all of this going to happen? And I don't even have a child. There's not even a child between Sarah and I. hundred years old. Gets a baby boy. <laughs> and then 136 years old, he gets land. We are... 
I find this interesting about us. We're all in for what we can see when we, we don't have a, when our heart's not fully in, right? We're, we're all in for what we can see. We're half in for what we're hoping for, right? I give half the time to that. I'm hoping for it. It looks like it could happen. And we are sidelined with respect to the impossible. You have to conquer your heart. You do. You have to let God conquer your heart. Because what prevents what God wants to do through you on this campus, in your heart, in your life, where you're at, is, is just us. We're the only one preventing it. We have a heart issue, not a timing issue. And when we have all of our heart in it, we were down here, you know, yesterday, Michelle, uh, Vanessa had uh, talked to us during the week. She goes, because uh, a lot of Saturdays we're here for uh, some reason, uh, doing something on campus, uh, Michelle and I both. And so Vanessa said, what time should I be here on Saturday? You know, she was expecting to meet us. We're like, you know what, we're, just, we're not going to come in. We're going to, like, um, we have some things to do. And so we did the things that we had to do, and then uh, we started thinking about uh, some things that were still undone here. And so we're like, eh, you know what, let's stop by the church. And so we were here, and she busted us. She came in. Ah, you said you weren't going to be here. <laughs> and, it, and it's really cool because, you know, what we're seeing is, is the birth of the heart for the campus and the mission and the things that God wants to do in, in your hearts and lives. So no longer is it just me on the campus or me and Michelle, but we're starting to run into people who are wholeheartedly saying God has given us this. And there's something that he wants to do. But before we get, give our whole heart, we have this problem going on that we are only all in for what we can see. We're half in for what we're hoping for. And we're sidelined for what's impossible. When we come and rise together as the Joshua generation, one Lord, one tribe, one mission, we're all engaged Rick Warren said years ago in, in, his, in his book, The Purpose Driven Church, that what we as pastors need to aspire to do with people is get them all rowing the boat. Because he said there's two things people do in the boat. They'll rock it or row it. <laughs> and you don't want to get out in the middle of a big lake and have somebody rocking your boat, right? You want everybody rowing. And that's what's going on with the Joshua generation. They're all moving in the right direction, right? They, they are all heading to the promise uh, that God has given, and they're all mission-focused about what's just the next step ahead of them. What if I told you that God has secured everything that you need for your future and for the victories ahead in his promises for your life? Look at First, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption. Uh, of, uh, that is in the world through lust. Caleb's testimony. I followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. 
wholeheartedly. You have never, I've never held back anything. I have followed him with all my heart. I'm inviting our worship team to come back. Anything less than all of our heart is, un, it can't be received by the Lord. It's not like he doesn't love you and he doesn't care about you and he doesn't want a peace, but he can't accept anything but all. It's all or nothing. And God wants all of us. Because the problem here is that, you know, he, uh, in, in um, Romans, we're told that we are living sacrifices. There's a problem with being a living sacrifice. One of the reasons that they, you know, slit the throat of the, the goats and the, and the rams and the, you know, the calves that they were sacrificing to the Lord was that they wouldn't get off the table. Right? It's like... We're, we're going to finish the sacrifice and offer it up to the Lord. It's just a problem if this thing's going to get up and walk off, you know. And uh, that's the problem with God making us a living sacrifice, is we, we get off the table. There's, there's that will struggle. God, I'm laying here, and I'm going to let you do all of your work. Whatever you need to do, this, this, this kind of circumcision of my heart that can be painful. I'm all in for what I can't see, what I can see, what I'm hoping for, and what seems impossible. I'm all in. And I'm just going to lay here and let you do your work. I'm wholeheartedly going to give myself to you. Caleb made a lifetime commitment to the Lord. This is what it means to be wholehearted. It was not contingent upon God what God did or did not do. It was not contingent on others, what they did or they did not do. He was, he was not going to follow a crowd. You know, the, the 10 guys on the way back were likely trying to convince Joshua and Caleb to go along with them. Let's have a majority. Let's take a consensus to Moses. We can't do it. There are giants in the land. These two guys said, we're not following the crowd. God said, I don't care what you say. God said, this is our land. And it, Caleb, it was not contingent upon how it might affect his reputation. He didn't care what other people thought about him. Well, you know, you're, you are just a, a radical religious zealot. I don't care what you think about me. There's one Lord, one tribe, one mission. That's, I'm, I'm totally focused on that. It was not contingent upon securing his life first. In other words, he didn't fight his way past Machpelah and go, okay, rest of you guys, you're on your own. This is my land now that we've secured this. And even after he's had this conversation with Joshua, he says, you know what, I'm, I'm all in for these future skirmishes and battles that we got going on. There's some small cities that are rising up. There's some tribes that are coming together. I'm all in for that. I'm, I'm 90, but I can fight. <laughs> I'm still on the front lines, right? Don't just, I, just, I think it's time for me to settle my family and start growing some crops, but I'm all in for the mission, what God's called us to do. He was all in for God for all of his life. This morning when we come together at the Lord's table, we are coming to the Lord's table not just to say thanks a bunch and walk away. Really appreciate that dying thing. Thank you for taking my sin. See you later. We are coming here to remind our heart to whom we belong. 
to commune with the owner of our hearts. We're coming to his table. And we're saying, I'm laying down as a living sacrifice. I am so grateful for what you accomplished, and I recognize the responsibility of it. I'm not just one-sided, like, thank you very much, just, oh, appreciate you. I'm going to sing a few worship songs. Really love that. Good thing you did for all of us. Thank you so much. But we're coming saying it holds huge responsibility for me that you did this. My life belongs to you. All that should have been mine, you took. And so I will forever live out my gratitude mission-wide. And if that's not where you are this morning, then I want to take a moment to allow you to get there. I'd like to ask you to stand with me. In a moment, the worship team is going to lead us in this song, and then I'm going to come back, and we're going to receive from the Lord's table. But right now, this is our opportunity to make things right with God. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, just as we are. We want to give you our whole heart. There are people here today that you're uniquely challenging and speaking to. Your Holy Spirit is dealing with them, Lord, as on the day of Pentecost. Lord, and, and moving among your people and challenging each heart to be all in and fully committed. We surrender. We become a living sacrifice. And we're not coming to your table just to blatantly say thank you and walk away. We're coming to remind our hearts of the one who owns it, who we belong to. And we're giving our whole self to you again and laying down on this altar and saying, have all of us. We are serving one Lord. We are one tribe, the church of Jesus Christ. And we have one mission, to seek and to save that which is lost. We belong to you.